as the crow flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Charles Sheely, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, what's up, man? Thanks for having me. You're a fascinating character. Uh, last year, I went to a Halloween party, and I typically hate Halloween parties because I don't like getting dressed up in costumes. But our uh, shared jujitsu coach, Mike Rethmeyer, was having a party. And you think, well, if Mike Rethmeyer can get dressed up and look silly, then so can I. So I show up at this party, and uh, there's a guy that shows up dressed as Voldemort with a beautiful woman with him. And I had no idea that it was you. And that's because your ability to create costumes is on the level of being at Hollywood. And I I was absolutely shocked when I found out, oh my God, it's Charlie from the jujitsu gym. And he also made this amazing costume. So who the hell are you? Why in the hell do you know how to make costumes that could be on movie sets right now? Well, that's a, that's a complicated background. So uh, what's really, is just, I love, superheroes man like who doesn't i mean that's why marvel's the marvel and dc are some of the biggest grossing films right now right is because everyone can relate to a superhero but what makes a superhero not someone that wins all the time someone that has been beaten down to the worst possible scenario and then they just come back like they come back better than ever and they grow so what actually got me going was i I was always a gamer. I love games because video games, mostly multiplayer online because the scenarios are always different. It's always challenging. I'm dealing with real people instead of AI or whatever. So I wanted to get into game and art design. So I went to school for game and art design. You know, and I I met my wife and she decided to actually go because she was a part of uh, anthropology and she went to do like a, a cultural class and they had to do a study. And so the study on her particular group was science fiction, right? Now keep in mind, I've never been to a Comic-Con before. I've never been in this, what one might consider a nerd environment, which I don't, I, I'm, I'm a nerd, you know, like, whatever, cool. I mean, whatever you want, I don't care. Like, nerd I, I, that can I, kick I, most people's ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I, I'm okay with that. And that's most, you know, it's like not everyone, but no, most, that's cool. I mean, I'm okay with, you know, being better than average and that that's all I really, want to do and so what was awesome was when we went to this it was called archon it's in st louis it's uh it's been around since the gosh i think like over 20 years i'm sure or something like that but we went there and it was only for like for her class it was actually for study right and so we go there and we're kind of passing i'm helping her hand out pamphlets you know helping my wife out her schoolwork but i'm like man these people are really cool and to be honest, like my first, I was always a Star Wars fan, but my first introduction to this was when I went and I took my nephew <laughs> like 15 years ago. It was for a charity. It was uh, called Shoes for Tots, meaning basically you pay money and you're going to go watch a Star Wars film in a crappy theater, but all the money is for charity. Like the 501st is a great, great organization that has raised millions of dollars for charity. It's, it's a great organization for people that are Star Wars fans because these people make the most amazing, accurate costumes. Like they have really high standards for their costumes. Like movie quality, you don't get in unless it's movie quality. And I was like, I want to be in there. But then I asked the guy, I was like, well, how much was this cost? I'm like, keep in mind, I'm in my early 20s and 
And the guy's like, well, that's about $2,000 and a lot of $2,000 to make a costume that you wear to a movie. Right, right. And I'm like, two grand, dude. It's like, um, no, like, not in the options. So I, I took my 3D modeling skills. I, I learned from schooling for game and art design. And then I started learning this program called Pepecura, which is a program that takes your uh, 3D model. Because all 3D models are just squares and triangles. Like, I mean, granted, you know, you're talking about millions of them. But when you break it down, they, they get lower resolution. And so it's kind of like looking at a TV that's like, you know, 125K versus 4K or whatever, like higher resolution, more detail you get. Same thing with 3D modeling. So whenever video games were out at that time, uh, they were really low polygon. And I discovered, you know, well, I wanted to make this costume. So I figured out every way I could. So at the time, it was uh, printing out in paper in this Pepecura design would actually allow me to to bend it so if it was a dot 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 that meant it was like a mountain fold now if it was a dot dash dot that meant it was a valley fold so it was like putting together a 3d puzzle so i would print it on cardstock and i'll glue it together now i'll cover it with fiberglass resin and now i'll put bond to it now it's sand and smooth it out and then it, i created this like this art you know it was like wow this is awesome and so i it evolved three printing started coming around i i got involved like granted you can get a decent three print out for like 500 bucks but back in the day it was like two grand you know so i i was really invested because i was having a lot of fun with this and then some guy hit me up and was like hey can you make this red hood character helmet and it's from a comic book i'm like who's red hood like i have no idea who he is i'm like what you know it's like i don't know i'm like i'm not that huge of a comic book nerd but then I started to discover this record character was like the crow because I'm a big Bruce Lee fan. So, you know, of course I'm following the lineage, you know, Brandon Lee, the crow. So I'm, I'm a huge fanboy. And then I started actually looking at this character. He's basically like the crow. So he's like an evil vigilante. So red hood is this. So Batman has Robins. He's had, like, if you watch the show, uh, oh my gosh, it's on the DC, uh, streaming it's called uh i'm sorry i'm actually lacking the memory of the term of the well like so you're talking about comic book characters that are way off the beaten path right like i know about superheroes that are like superman batman um i know about spider-man but when you start getting off of the the main road of like what movies, is yeah, movies yeah. yeah then i have no idea about these characters so somebody showed up and was like hey man can you make me this helmet of this guy that you've never heard of you go and you look it up and you discover there is this huge lineage of of like character development and ideas and things like that in the character and now you're presented with can i make his this helmet right and that was actually the thing is that as so I, I believe, especially through jiu-jitsu, whatever, whatever realm you want to go through, right? Desperation creates creativity. I mean, to be honest, just like what's happening now. Everyone with this COVID thing, right? Everyone's freaking out. I'm not. Because I see a problem and I'm going to fix it. And that's what this was. It was like, this guy gave me this. It only exists in comic book at the time. It's actually in the Injustice games now, right? It is. But uh, it was just this art and 
I, I actually researched it. I was like, I can relate this. I like, I love this character. This guy is awesome. So yeah, I, I want to do this project. You know, it's like I get offered all the time. On like, can you make this? Can you? I'm like, yeah, but it's you're, it's going to take me a year to get to it. You know, this guy's. I, I mean, I'm realistic. I don't just you know take people's money or whatever. It's like if I if I'm not passionate, I'm not going to do it because it's. So when you made this first helmet, this guy, the, did you, did, was it successful? Were you good at it? Was oh, he happy yeah. with the thing you made? Dude, this is the first custom thing I made and it was pretty successful. And I started seeing that people were liking it. They wanted to buy it. I made the molds. I learned how to make my own silicone molds. I, I was looking up everything I could on it. And then, I mean, I was just thinking this was a project was going to pay for itself because, like, I never viewed it as a as a money making opportunity, right? It was like this is cool. I want to make it because he I got the attention because I made uh, I don't know. I think it's from Iron Man Two where he had all those different Iron Man suits, and one of them was called Shotgun. And I was a huge fan of Iron Man, and I was like, I want to make an Iron Man suit that no one's made. It was called Shotgun. It was basically that. Tony Stark Iron Man suit that was uh, built specifically to go at mock speeds. So it was aerodynamic. And so I want to be the first person to make it. And so I started 3D modeling it and then I made the helmet. And then I, I went to my, uh, Archon is the name of the St. Louis Comic Con. It was awesome. I suggest anyone that's interested in Comic Con, go to that. It's a good one. And so then I showed up there and people were like, wow, was that made of metal in my plate? Now she's helping me guide me because I'm looking through this slit, you know, <laughs> like, like all I see, I, I can't see below me or anything. So you and, wore it to this, to this event. So you wear, yeah. you make this new costume that nobody's ever, nobody's ever made before. And oh, then you man. wear it to this, this event that you had gone to a couple years before. Right. Yeah. It was super cool, man. Cause everyone like, even people like, is that actually made of metal? And I'm like, to me, cause every artist is their own critic. Right. And I'm like, it looks like crap actually when my wife's helping me in it she's like i'm like well how does it look she's like oh it doesn't suck and i'm like oh great <laughs> you know but so it, it it wasn't like i had anything writing on it though man it was just have fun and so that's what i did and we went and people are like is that actually made out of metal and i'm like this is made out of foam dude like it's it's like the 501st wouldn't accept this you know if they didn't accept anything that wasn't what was made in the movies so that was always my goal was to have this hardcore like like what i really wanted to do was what they were doing so when i saw my nephew because i took him to this event when i saw my nephew's eyes light up when this bubba fett character show, my my nephew believed because darth vader is walking there was bubba fett and then there was also you know, stormtroopers behind him. My nephew was like, <gasps> like, you know what I mean? Like the kid, man, like the kid in me came out. It's like, man, you know, this, this kid is like, I, I want to, I want to inspire that. Like, that's amazing. And so when I found out the charity they did and everything is like that, I just, I just want to do that. But I couldn't afford the costumes. So I was like, I guess I got to make it myself. And then Boom. And so how much did your, then did you develop, develop that into a business? Is that, is that a revenue stream for you? It did. It, it, it happened. I, I didn't plan it. It just, it just kind of happened that way. Like I was just out there to have fun. And I was like, well, this is cool. Like I can't buy it at the price I could afford. So I just had to make it. And then 
people started liking what I was making. And then they were like, hey, do you make copies? And so I had to figure out how to make copies. <laughs> and so it was uh, it was supporting my my hobby, but it wasn't like, I never viewed it at the time. I never viewed it as like an income, you know? So that was, it would, I would say it paid for my fun. So, I mean, if you would consider that income, then yes, that's what I did do. I mean, I think that the that's like, um the first step towards doing anything is figuring out, can I be passionate about this? Do I, do I love this? And there may be aspects of it that you don't love, but if there's something that pulls you through to the other side, like the look on your nephew's face when he is watching the superheroes that he loves and cares about, and you have developed something that, that generates that look in his, in his eye. Like if you can find a way to get that paid for by the work that you're doing, that's the first, that's the first big step. Right. And actually, I, I mean, I think that's the core of any successful person. I mean, to be honest, like there's, you have to enjoy the suffering. You have to enjoy the problem solving. You have to enjoy the grit. Like you have to enjoy the the continuing learning, like the failures. You Like uh, there's a good quote from like Will Smith, which was a fail forward. You know, it's like, you know, you have to look at everything objectively. And for me, it's like, I remember me and my wife were getting over a Comic-Con and something broke and we're freaking out. But then all of a sudden it was like, I can fix that. You know, I, I just went after it. It's like, I didn't know for sure I could, but I just believed I could. And so I'm like, okay, because it, it's all based off of reason. Like I've seen other people do it. Oh, I, I can do it. So it's objective reasoning, meaning I, I saw a path and it wasn't an impossible path, all right? Like, I didn't just will it. Like, you know, people can will and wish all day long that they want to fly by jumping off the ground like Superman, but you have to have an objective truth to that, which is you have to calculate is it, how successful can it be and how much are you willing to sacrifice? And I think people that are truly passionate about martial arts, whatever it is you want to do, whether it's, you know, you want to have a high income, or you want whatever it is you have to enjoy the failure you know i think one of the biggest changes in my life happened uh you know maybe my late 20s or early 30s was when i realized that if you are going to ever make sacrifices that are worth anything you have to want something and it is okay to want something the 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 thing that gets you in trouble is if you're like I don't want to choose what I want because I may not get it. And so therefore I'm just going to kind of have, I'm going to look at what other people want or what other people think is cool or what other people think is good enough. And that's going to be what, what my life is all about. But when I started to realize is there's a danger to wanting things because when you decide that you want something now you have to make sacrifices because if wanting it was enough, it wouldn't be valuable. But if right. you find something you want bad enough, now you're like, oh, I got to make those sacrifices. And those sacrifices are suffering until you yeah. find a way to incorporate it and it's, and it's not suffering. Right. And actually, there's a good quote from Bruce Lee. It's like, one thing is not enough. You have to will it. So, that, I mean, it's not just as easy as willing it. You have to see a path for success. Like, you know, like I don't, uh, like if I look at something and there's a 100% brick wall, then, then I do kind of give up because I don't see light at the end of the tunnel. But if you see light, if you see even just a glimmer of someone else's success 
and you kind of follow that same path, then I, and you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like that, like, but I also believe that desperation creates creativity. So that's like why I don't like to do an art project that's just solely based on, I need a time limit because that, that creates the innovation that, that is the, the building blocks of success is you have to create your solution. It's kind of like this. You, you've said something twice that I think is interesting, which is desperation causes these things to happen. The only way you use that word desperation is if you've been there. So when you yeah. look back on desperation, what are, what are the things that you're saying, hey, I was desperate at this moment and it forced me to, to change in some other way? Well, I would go back to childhood. So my parents met in a martial arts gym. So one of my upbringing was actually watching Bruce Lee films in Conan. So I was like, probably not the most PC version of upbringing, right? But that's okay. And then my parents got divorced. And then, so my reality was broken. And then, so, but after looking back at things, my mom worked as a secretary at SIU Cardinal. And then she also had a second job. And then during Christmas time, she took on a job at Kmart at the time. So she was a very hardcore lady about keeping her, like basically being the caregiver. I mean, my mom is a warrior period she she actually got a purple judo and so actually my example of success came from my mom because she was in the worst possible scenario like i mean this is actually why i, I relate everything you just do is like do i blame do or am i going to play the victim just like well your jutsu is better and i just give up you know i or or you pass my guard or you hit me or, or whatever scenario you want to use right is it's do i blame you for that or do i accept that my guard retention sucks and i have to fix it yeah there's so, something to that objective reality you you've called it that is is like um there's nothing about like when two people come together for jujitsu right they've decided we are going to both agree to exert as much of our will on the other person as we possibly can and if yeah. I can't exert my will over you, it's not your fault, it's mine. Because right. I have not figured out how to do leverage and physics and use my weight and my strength. I have instead allowed you to outthink me, out have cardio over me, and that's all on me, right? Because everything is under my control. I can't control what you do. Right, and there's, there's so many things you can control. Weight, cardio, athleticism. I mean, even especially when if you, well, I'm, I'm going to not spend too much time here, but like different body types will decide and that's what objective truth is your body type will decide what your jiu-jitsu style is not you you mean you can have like me i got short legs i love spider guard i think it's really cool but guess what i got short like i am five foot eight and now i know this specifically from my costume design is uh i'm five foot eight i have the torso of somebody six foot and i have the legs of somebody five foot four so, <laughs> so I am not as proportioned as you should be. Like every single, like from an artist perspective, your head come here and then two heads. That is actually the proportion of human beings, but my proportion is different. My wife who has discovered that she has spider guard potential, long legs, cause her hips are like, you know, like a, a, at least 
that much higher than mine. So her jujitsu will be different, but I still understand it because you have to. You have to understand your environment before you can conquer it. What is Spider Guard? You've mentioned this. Oh, so Spider Guard is whenever I, you know, it's mostly in a gi, but it can be in no gi to a certain degree, which is uh, I grab your wrist or your sleeves and I put my feet inside your biceps, right? So now the feet is kind of controlling you like a puppet, like north-south. So if she leans me this way, and then and as soon as she gets my elbow past my spine, I'm off balance and then overtakes me. And long-legged people, people with long legs or athletic legs will be very good at triangles. They will be very good at spider guard because it, it plays to their physical abilities and that's what objective truth is it's like jujitsu will make you look at yourself and they're like well why why can't i do this technique well maybe because you're slightly overweight and it's hard for you to breathe so now you're going to reflect on that and be like well maybe i can lose some weight and maybe i need to fix this you know what i mean and then and then so jujitsu is this pattern of constant testing the truth and so then you go out there and you will eventually grow and figure out. And that's why I believe you just is like a fingerprint for people. You will, you will develop just like articulating the world, right? How do people articulate the world? Well, I'll ask you, how do you articulate the world? How do you have your perspective and why? Well, the, the only way that I have my perspective is that I test things, right? So I, I am always... Uh, approaching people I don't know. I'm asking them what they think. I'm taking my ideas and I'm presenting it to them. And I'm, I'm actually not hoping to best people in an argument. When I was younger, I used to just love winning arguments. But now right. I realize the best situation is for me to find an argument that I have that actually fails when it's tested. Is why this podcast is awesome. Yes, no, I agree. And actually, that's why, I mean, I listen to your podcast with Coach, with Morgan and Luke and others. And I was also congrats on getting to interview Jordan Peterson, one of my personal heroes. Awesome. That was amazing. And so it's like, you know, I, that's what it is. And that's why perspective is important. So I have a son that's on the spectrum. And you mean the autism spectrum? Yes. Yes. And he actually, it's, he's, his IQ is not low, man. And there's, there's perspective. And you have to understand that difference just like teaching a white belt right like i would love to show all my students because most of them are white belts because i opened my gym almost a year ago right and all of them are still white belts because you have to allow them to test it and fail and that's objective truth i mean that's how everyone articulates the world kind of like a, a bully you know like for the most part every single bully kind of had a mother that wasn't very strict so because if he just pushed enough his mom gave in so then that creates bully tendencies so now he's bullying people at school on the playground whatever i don't want to go too deep into psychology because i'm no expert at all but that creates certain aspects just like me working in the so i am a salary person at a corporate job to be honest people that get higher up aren't honest you know they're fake and actually i despise that i don't i don't like fake people i i enjoy honest objective truth people and that's why i mostly relate to just people and but that's what i mean is but but i understand them i don't hate them necessarily right i just don't choose to associate with them 
because I understand that's how they articulate the world. Hey, if I'm really nice to this guy, then I'll get promoted. Like, it makes sense that that's how you test your world and that's how you, how you see it. And that's fine. That's just not my perspective. Yeah, the challenge with living in a world that doesn't get tested is just like the bully goes around and, and can beat a hundred little kids up, but eventually he runs into a, a ground truth that isn't that the strongest, most aggressive wins. He finds somebody that pummels him. And because right. he went so headlong into it, you get into trouble. You know, Coach, when I had him on, he had something that was very interesting when he was describing the various belts. And he said, you're a white belt until uh, you can defend yourself against most people. So if you right. come up against somebody that's untrained, you're going to win, which is why he is so reluctant to hand out blue belts, right? He wants those people to know every aspect about it to be able to defend themselves before he hands them that blue belt. Because if you give somebody the idea that they are further along the path than they really are, that's when you go out into the world and get in trouble. Right. You see, and to be honest, like, just so you understand the difference of blue belt is, in my opinion, one of the most important belts because it's actually, in my opinion, right, is, that is a black belt in every other martial art. A blue belt is that in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and every martial art is when, because you do karate or taekwondo, you could, according to most gyms, get your black belt in two years. I mean, there's nine-year-olds with black belts, right? So, I mean, there is this. But that's why I love Coach, because he's this honestly, like, modern-day samurai. I mean, I love Coach. I, I, I appreciate everything he does. And it's that's why I cling to him. Morgan and all the other guys I train with because we've been through the grit. We we constantly challenge each other and it's always this this growth. We learn from it. We don't get butt hurt. So here's here's actually what I think is the problem that most people is they don't have grit. They don't they, they see it as hard and they quit. Well that that's no good. I mean if you're gonna be good at anything, you can't quit. Now it's not to say like I was saying earlier, I, I wish I can just jump and fly like Superman. You can't just will it. Or I heard a TED talk where they said like, oh, I'll fake it till it's real. I'm like, you know, there's certain things you really can't, like no chi knockouts, you know, you've seen all that. In fact, I actually did Kung Fu before I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I could break coconuts with my bare hand. If you YouTube Iron Palm Coconut Break, I posted 11 years ago and I'm like, you know, third on the research from that. And it's like, that's cool, but can you get there? And so that was one of my motivations for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Like, I need to get them out so I can, you know, end it. And so, and to be honest, like, I was just always fascinated with the art of martial arts. You know, a lot of people that, majority of people that come to Jiu-Jitsu or self-defense or whatever, and I've heard this across the board, was I'm just going to simplify it because it, it's ultimately true. And the simple fact is, Everyone got in this situation where they were conflicted with another human being. And that other human being said, what are you going to do about it? Okay, so what Jiu-Jitsu has done for me was in any scenario, it doesn't matter what that scenario is, is when it comes to that, my no will mean no. And so that has given me peace. I had to become the lion in order to become the lamb. You know what I mean? It's like I... I like I love Jordan Pierce's quote, which is, "If you're harmless, you're not peaceful. 
you're just you're just harmless yeah that's right a rabbit isn't virtuous because right. it runs away it doesn't have an option to stay and fight and so the he always talks about the meek will inherit the earth and the meek doesn't mean that you are uh, not willing to fight it's a meek actually should translate to the people that have swords but decide to keep them sheathed right that's exactly. actual power yeah it is and that is that i am actually peaceful because i have decided to be that way and you know everyone that's within reason can reflect and be like you know i was i, I what i did was wrong and it's only like narcissists that believe that they're always right and everyone should follow suit and there's a lot of them out there but it is about perspective and perspective is, is a huge thing like i said my son being on autism I, I had to really reflect on a lot of things and it, it's not that the boy actually one of the videos that i saw that blew my mind there was this uh girl that was actually they, they put her at like severe autism she couldn't communicate she would bang her head in the floor she would smear feces on the wall like horrible things every single psychologist they said would be like well this she's not going to develop past the uh IQ of like an eight-year-old, like you're basically going to be dealing with an adult eight-year-old, and they have a lot of power. So, and emotions run strong. But what happened was she was watching her dad type, and she actually started typing, help, hurt. And then they figured out they could, she could communicate this way. And so then she learned how to type, and then she sounds like a normal teenager. Wow, she had been locked in. Right, and that's the thing, it's communication, it is perspective. Like, so this girl, when they asked her, and, and this, this is really relative to people that have oversensitive, uh, and uh, what was it, uh, sorry, I'm missing the technical term, but she, they asked her why she banged her head on the floor. And she said, well, if I don't, it hurts. It's kind of like people's twitches or nervous twitches fidgeting of spinners, whatever. It's like, this calms you down. Well, banging your head just kind of relieves the pain because it's a different perspective. They're, they're wiring different. So you have yeah, to- I, I mean, I can relate to that, right? Like we do things in our life in order to uh, stop the short-term thing. And particularly if you are completely isolated and you can't discuss it. So I one time was in Africa and I had an allergy and I broke out from head to toe. And the hardest part about this um, breakout, it turns out I was allergic to mangoes, but I didn't know at the time that's what it was. It was like eating poison ivy. So I was broken out everywhere. And when I was conscious, when I was awake, I could say, don't scratch yourself because that's going to hurt you. You're going to bleed. But I would go to sleep and I would unconsciously do all these things to my body because I couldn't fast forward into the future and say, hey, you're going to wake up and you're going to be bloody. And so if you have this child that has been kept away from being able to explain or think through their ideas, they are only captured in that one moment. There's no way for them to think about or talk about or project out into the future. They're just dealing with what is right now. Right. And then now you're emotion based, right? And that's why they lash out. That's why they they have all these problems. And so uh, I have really grown because of that and i understand especially with the whole covid thing man it's so crazy out there like it's i know my mom's 78 years old and smokes so i can't get her i I can't be responsible for her catching that right so 
I'm safer than most. And I get majority of people. Hey, man, go do whatever you got to do. But I'm going to be safer. And that's cool. It's like, I believe everyone should have the free will to do whatever they want. And it's, it's just that I get the, the fear and I get the over paranoia, but I also get that, you know, it, 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 it's a perspective thing, man. Like you have to understand that some people aren't as experienced as you just like the white belt. So teaching and opening up a gym has really helped me a lot because it's taught me just like my wife, being very successful in jiu-jitsu, being Mike Rathmeyer's first four-stripe blue belt is awesome. Like that—that's an honor. You know, what I mean, it's like when Mike, like, like when he was saying when he gives his belt promotions, man, that means something. Like a—that's a lineage you have to live up to, and I respect the hell out of that. That—that that means a lot. So, I don't that, think there's very many things in people's lives right now where they are a part of a lineage of a legacy. You know, like right. I, 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 so, so Mike's gym, the BJJ Lifestyle Academy, it's a long way away from me. It's like 30 minutes to get there, 30 minutes to get back. You do two hours of classes. That's a lot of time. But I right. think about like, well, I could save a bunch of time and go to a different gym, but then you're cut out of that lineage. You're cut out of the, the fact that there are very few people that carry this knowledge. The only way to pass it forward is by, by like the same way that you do steel, right? You heat it up, you pound on it, then you put it back yeah. in. And there are other places I'm sure they're perfectly fine at teaching, but you're 100% right. That lineage, that thing that you're a part of means that if you have a blue belt, you have a blue belt that dates back a long, long time, goes all the way to Brazil, yeah. back to Japan. Like it's a long, deep thing. Right, and that, that's important. You see, that, that is only driven by people that are passionate about it. Like, People that aren't passionate about it, they just want to learn stuff with it. Hey, you know, so that's kind of the difference. There, there is a difference, like just like you, you know, I, uh, I drive 45 minutes to get there. And I actually, maybe some days get only five hours of sleep and I go and train because that's how important it is to me. I'm passionate. So I, I make the sacrifice. And it, there's like, how bad do you want it? Like, if I wanted to kind of just do, so what happened with the business on the side, the ruthless effects thing was, it was going great, man. I got on, you know, the sci-fi wares at New York City Comic Con. I was being interviewed. It was great. Amazon people were hitting me up. So then I started, I contacted DC. And then I, I hit this big, huge brick wall of, I don't own a factory in China. It won't make me money. Like, I, that was- Because the, you can't that, get to economies of scale, you mean? Right. Like, I don't have a million dollars to invest in a factory. I, I didn't have all of this- uh, ability even though i can kind of you know if you're, if you're not really making that much money they don't really pay attention to what you're doing as far as copyright goes but when i looked into the licensing and everything i, I did hit this big huge brick wall because i was looking into making my own little factory in my own yard building a pole barn building rotocasting machines i calculated all the all the silicone that would go into it all the resin the man hours like i actually really broke it down but then when I was talking to the C people, they're like, well, we're going to get 50% of the retail. And I'm like, well, you know, the only way I can put value, then I would have to limit how many helmets I sell. And then, because then it would be a collector's item. And so when you, you know, the, the fact is, is that I, I can't compete. And so that's okay. And I was like, oh man, I'll just make what I want and make copies and it'll be fun. And so, but then also at the same time is when, there was an opportunity because I 
was calculating opening up my own gym for a while. And because uh, I do love what Jiu-Jitsu does, it gives people peace. You know, that was one thing someone asked me that was very important. And I heard this term before was, uh, like I said earlier, when people ask, why did you start learning Jiu-Jitsu? And most people are like, well, someone kind of came at me and were like, what are you going to do about it? Well, I want to give people that freedom. And I think when you give people freedom, they, they act more like them and they are better people. You get people based on fear, they act really horribly. I, I think they act emotionally, they don't act logically, but when you give them the freedom to be without fear, they become better people. So that's why I was like, well, you know, I'm gonna share this knowledge and let's, let's smart, you know, entrepreneur-wise, like let's go about this smart and make the gym and make it as best as I could. and. To be honest, man, it blew up. Like I was, it was because I'm passionate about it. And so is my wife. Like we live it, and she's a coach equal to me, pretty much, right? I mean, granted, my my jujitsu knowledge goes better, but look at her. She just got gold at uh, IBGF Kansas City. I mean, she beat one of the like this girl that she beat for first got a uh, bronze at the uh, Worlds, which is like the, one of the biggest Brazilian biggest Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition you can go to and it is this objective truth that you know it works it's like an amazing true. thing like when you first so when I first joined uh the Jiu-Jitsu gym I had probably five classes or so five sessions before I ever encountered a woman at one of these things and like at first it was deeply uncomfortable for me because it's like hey I'm married i'm rolling around like you, when you're when you're rolling with somebody you're going to touch their breasts you're going to put your arm in between their legs you're going to do all these things that our entire society has told us not to do and so at first you're like man i wish these women just wouldn't be here so we just go with the guys and just do what we want but then what you realize is when you start rolling with a woman that has even a modicum more experience than you if you limit your ability to beat them based on just your raw strength, right? Like I can pick this person up and throw them. And mm -hmm. now you have to like outthink them. And you start saying like, I'm going to do these other things. You start realizing like this person that I'm rolling with was not, a, was not empowered to outmuscle anybody. So they've had to outthink everyone. And so they know these moves so much better than the behemoth guy that I just got done rolling with and the other guy that can bench 200 pounds. And so what you realize is if I just cut that thing out because it's a little bit awkward for me because I don't want to roll around with women, you miss right. a fact that there is a sophistication and a complexity to the way a woman rolls that you can learn a lot from. Right. Actually, there's a term it's called pull guard like a girl. And it's it's actually well, women's most of their weight comes in their hips, right? So, because we're up, men are mostly upper body is where most of our weight technically is to a certain degree, depending on your body type. But what what's amazing is is all the ways of thing like society, social structures, whatever you want to call it, right? When someone's about to break your arm, you don't give a crap what sex they are. <laughs> like, all I care about is you're not breaking my arm, you know what I mean? And then that's the raw truth of jujitsu is guess what? Like it's all fun and games till you're in trouble. Just like everything. And so you kind of 
do whatever you gotta do, but it doesn't change the fact that you just got caught. You can put up any excuse you want. Well, I, she was a girl, I didn't treat her that way, but whatever, dude, like maybe, maybe don't treat her like a girl and see what happens. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And you know what? Any of the women that have been around more than two or three classes have decided, I'm gonna get my ass kicked and I don't care. And so like, you're talking about a person that they're saying like, hey, don't, don't treat me brutally. But like, as long as you are playing anywhere near the, the realm of fair, which is use what you have, they use what they have, you're going to find sometimes where you think you should be able to beat a girl and she whips your ass. Actually, and I would say I've been like, and I've seen this because I, I, I kind of learned, you know, from like 10 years ago when it was still wasn't mainstream or anything. It was, there was one girl there that, you know, I remember the instructor being like, well, he would actually sick the girl in the biggest, you know, Roided it out, dude, coming in like, I'm the best, dude, at the barbecue. And then this 110-pound girl kicks their butt. And to be honest, like I said, once you're in danger, like I said, you can get all the excuses you want for the beginning, but your muscle and strength only take you so far. And it will put you in good. Now, once people that are bigger and stronger learn you to and they understand the fundamentals, then, it, then that's why there's weight classes. There, there's these different things. But if you're ignorant, and that's why I say, like, I'm 90% sure my will be enforced that you don't know jiu-jitsu. Like, I, I'm not so arrogant. I'm like, well, I'll defeat anyone. That, that's ego. I, I, I'm an objective truth person. And Brock Lesnar would probably submit me. You know what I mean? It's like you have to understand, like, your ego gets in the way of a lot, especially like in MMA now. You see people where they're, like, especially Tony Ferguson, dude's an amazing grappler didn't attempt more than one takedown and it was a super lazy MNRA role after he's had a concussion, you know, and not thinking straight. But the reality is, is like, look at UFC one, man. 170 pound Hoist Gracie. Hoist Gracie just out there annihilating people. It so doesn't matter to sex or anything. It was, it was pure physics of understanding jiu-jitsu, understanding the objective truth. So coronavirus has made it so nobody's doing jujitsu right now or very few people if they are they're doing it in uh in basements and nobody's talking about it but wh what has that been like for you to go for years of doing jujitsu to now not doing jujitsu well i'm lucky my wife she's a practitioner but you know it was like actually when it, when it first started my company is kind of an essential company so for me it's not really that much different other than i don't get to train like what i was like six days a week at least and at least an hour of grind and grit and rolling and sweat and everything. Uh, I did have, a, I, I did treat it like a vacation. I'm like, okay. And I, you know, I got a little lazy. Sure. Like, you know, like, like I said, they're stealing my vacation time. So I'm going to treat it like a vacation. Right. And then, uh, but then me and my wife were actually kind of noticing this moment where like, we you know we need this. Like there was certain, a certain type of satisfaction that comes from that pure exhaustion that pure pushing yourself to the breaking point, like not just, you know, I'm tired, I'm gonna quit. No, you gotta push it till you can't stand up, till you can't hardly breathe. It has cost me in so many creative ideas. I, I think like the hardest thing and probably the deepest lesson that I've learned from this is without that absolute burn down exhaustion that you get from jujitsu, where like you, the only thing you can focus on is try to not get choked 
I don't have access to these ideas that are deep in my mind, right? I, the only other way to do it is to run five miles. And even that isn't the same level of clarity. So you go to do this jujitsu and you're driving home and you're tired and you're eating your banana or your protein bar or whatever. And these ideas just start floating through your brain. And I don't get any of that. So one of the biggest costs of this, uh, of this coronavirus has been, I'm missing out on a major part of my ability to come up with new ideas. Right. And actually, you kind of hit on the nail, right? Like I said earlier, especially with artists or whatever, desperation creates creativity. So you already said it right there. It's like there's nothing like you pushing yourself to the point of exhaustion, unlike someone else trying to choke you unconscious. So that that pushes you like you need that. And that's what a good coach is. A good coach isn't someone that, you know, passing them, it says good game. You know, after you got your butt kicked, a good coach is going to tell you what you really don't want to hear, the, the objective truth to make you a better person. And that's- Yeah, you know, it's Naval, who's this guy on Twitter, he's an interesting philosopher. He had a quote that I probably won't get quite right, but he basically was like, when someone says something that hurts you, look for the truth in it. When somebody says something that makes you feel good, look for the lie in it. Right. Like, because it's, and, and like both of those things, you, you could make it into like, okay, then you're always suspicious of people. But if you get yourself hurt, like when my wife tells me something that hurts my feelings, I'm always like, all right, why is this hurting my feelings? What part of my ego am I going out of my way to protect? Because my wife has nothing but good intentions for me. So she tells me something that hurts my feelings or coach tells me something that hurts my feelings. What's the part that I'm being like, I don't want to deal with that because it's too hard. Because that's exactly where you got to go. Yeah, and that, that's so true. And that's so true. And everything. actually, whenever I was working on a, well, a, some new Star Wars helmet, I can't remember which one it was, but some guy actually critiqued my model, my 3D model, because I, I do very accurate uh, renderings. And he made a comment about an inaccuracy. And I'm like, you know what, you're right. I'll, I'll fix that. And he's like, dude, like, you're the only person that I've ever made a comment on you actually agree with i'm like well it's true so you know you can't be butthurt by it now it's going to butthurt you essentially and you have to understand you're human and you're emotional so you have to you have to allow some some time so when someone says give me time you, you really should <laughs> like that was something i had to learn because it was a was a thing and it was like i i always i like to problem solve which is a big uh way of thinking of me right so i know it's to me only and when someone isn't quite catching up i still i keep pushing and sometimes that turns into a negative thing so you have to realize when you're pushing too much you know what i mean and you have to yeah i think that's true it was easier for me to see with new coaches that they have so much that they want to give that they often forget like how much can a student drink you know, how, how much can they possibly take in from what you're saying? Because you hit a point where their saturation goes from, hey, like he's trying to help me to, I feel like I'm being held underwater here. There's too much for me to think of. And in my world where I'm helping people learn how to be a better speaker or to be less afraid of saying what they really think, mm-hmm. um, I have to have that same patience too, right? I can give people all the instructions I want, but the only instructions that matter are the ones that they can take on, practice, do something about, and then, and then, then they can incorporate more. But I think new coaches have so much that they want to deliver 
because uh, they, they're like, I don't want you to suffer the same pain that I went through. I can help you speed this up by giving you more. And like, really, there's an, there's an upper maximum on how much people can learn at any given time. Right. It's like you're a black belt in that area. So you, you understand that there's, you have to fail and fail forward. And then that's kind of like what I like about it. It's like, you know, uh, there's a good quote, because I'm going to use another Bruce Lee one, which is, uh, I don't fear a man that knows 5,000 kicks. I fear the man that practiced one kick 5,000 times. And there's a lot of truth to that. Just like I see sometimes, uh, I'm not going to name names, but I had one of these students and, you know, they weren't doing the drills. And I just go, I'm like, well, maybe, you know, you know this drill so well, why don't you show it to me? And it was so off. I'm like, man, this is why you got to drill it because you're, you're doing it wrong and you don't realize you're doing it wrong. And that is perspective. Everyone thinks this way learning off videos uh, and when it comes to. Hey, you need someone else looking at you. You need a different perspective than your own. Oh, 100%. That's why you can't teach it to yourself. It's my, so my wife is a physical therapist, and during coronavirus, she started having people uh, record videos of them running. Now, these are people that run 1,000 or 2,000 miles in a given year. Some of them way less, right? They're just getting started. But they, so they know their own bodies running. But it isn't until they can have an expert watch like, hey, your hips are dropping every time you run or you're not holding your abs or you're not doing these things. Without it, you can't, you don't even know that there is something to know. You just think like, hey, my back hurts. I don't, it's because I'm, you know, must be doing something wrong in some other part of my life. And that's what coaching is. It's somebody that can objectively look at you and, and pull out the part that you could change and, and feed that to you in a way that you can do it. Right, and that, that's a good coach, man, and that, that's objective reasoning, which is because, um, you know, no one believes they're evil. I mean, no one. Everyone justifies everything they do 100%. There's not a single bad guy in the world, which is what I liked about Red Hood, was, you know, and if you look at someone's perspective, their environment, the way they're upbringing and everything, it's like, yeah, you know, they were justified in their thinking. Yeah, I mean, like, if you ever watch a movie, if the villain is just pure evil, if they're just like, hey, they're bad and twirling their mustache because they like doing bad things, nobody cares about that movie or that story. What we care about are the villains that think that they're doing right, but they've just gone too far. It's somebody that has, like, you know, this terrible problem and I need to wipe out all of those people in order that the new good thing can can come in. I mean, like, the, the Batman example over and over again is that these these villains are oftentimes trying to prove something in order that a new thing can grow up and they don't view themselves as evil because if you have a purely evil uh villain they're not there's nothing to learn there from them not and it's not relatable and and that's actually i think why the joker was so good i don't know if you saw the joker movie oh i did oh no not that i haven't Uh uh-uh no, no, you need to watch that because it, it, it is a way of like every single, like you said, successful story is one that can draw you into that. And that's this. It's, and that's what I just do. And what I think has made me successful is I, I pick and choose what to do if I have the luxury of it. Like I work a job I hate. I mean, I was like, I really, I work midnights, man. I, 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 I have work a horrible shift that most people quit. It's like, but this fuels my happiness. This fuels my, uh, well, it fuels my uh, family 
prosperity. It basically secures all my fundamentals and it gives me some freedom to do what I need to do and that and that's great. So I actually think that most people quit because it's hard. You know, life is hard. You know, as an infant, walking is hard. Everything is hard at first. I don't care what it is. Drawing, walking, running, mountain climbing, jiu-jitsu, taekwondo, karate, boxing, MMA, blah, blah, blah. doesn't matter what it is. Everything's hard at first. And it's only through failure, just like if you watch a toddler, right? They stand up, face plant. <laughs> like You're like, oh, my gosh, and you freak out. But they're like, man, they just sit back up and try it again. They just keep falling. And so then they figure out walking is the art of not falling. <laughs> so that's uh, that's life. Life is like the art of not falling. Well, and I know the trap that I started falling into with coronavirus was I got into the mindset of like, not that we're on vacation, because I kept up with my routines, but right. some of those routines weren't that hard or they weren't as full. And then you start thinking, oh, the thing that I'm suffering through is getting through coronavirus because we're not allowed to go out. And then you realize, uh-uh, that's like choosing. I want life in general to be suffering as opposed to I'm suffering because I'm trying to get somewhere else. And so as soon as I started taking on the mentality of like the, the suffering should not come from waiting for St. Louis County to open up. The suffering should come from, did you wake up and get this stuff done? Did you go for your run? Did you get your uh, administrative work done? Have you started to make changes to your business um, that you know you need to make? That's when the suffering becomes meaningful. Right. Actually, I, I say vacation because my, uh, my job mandated I, I use my vacation time. You know, and it, it's a corporate thing, so that's okay. And so that's kind of why I took it that way. And then, and then after like two weeks, I'm like, okay, well, vacation's over for me, you know. And then, and but I do, I I do agree. It's it's a serious thing, and I think uh, this all, I I really believe majority of this could be prevented if people just wash their freaking hands, you know, and we're just actually conscious about washing hands before they eat, and real basic uh, hygiene. So I work at a place where um, it's a big factory, like 5,000 people work in there. So I touch what 5,000 other people touch in a day, right? So that's way different than, and it's not really that much different when you go in a gas station, right? So you should really wash your hands after that or anything, but whatever. I was always this guy that used to eat food off the table. If it French fry fell off, I'd pick it up and eat it. That was me back then. My wife was always real paranoid she always washed her hands because she was in charge of an infection control at her parents dental office so it was like she's like eh. and she, she would cringe and so i actually quit doing that but when this whole virus thing kind of started i remember i we went to out to eat after training and i went to grab this ketchup bottle and when i grabbed it i felt the grease and i was like Ugh. and then all of a sudden it went through my mind how many other people touched that ketchup bottle and they didn't wash their hands. And then, and I, and where I work, I've seen people come out of doing number two and they don't wash their hands, which is why I fist bump people. I never shook hands anyway, unless I trust you to be a clean person. And I am mostly fist bump people to avoid the transfer of germs. I'm not a germaphobe. I'm just aware. I mean, I'm you can't be a germaphobe and be in jujitsu. It's not oh, possible. No, I mean, <laughs> it's like you're rolling yeah. around. There's, there's, it's like one step away from being naked with people because you're sweaty, you're spitting, you're trying yeah. to gasping for air. So 
No, there's no germ phobes in jujitsu. Right. No, actually, I think your immune system is pretty good if you train jujitsu. Like, I would agree. Like, you probably got a pretty good immune system, and the COVID probably won't affect you. But so, it, what's it, your thought? When when will jujitsu be back? Dude, I think for the people that are already addicted, it'll be back in a month. I mean, the hardcore, right? I think the the people who are kind of more hobbyists, which I'm not hating on it. I mean, that's fine. I mean hobbyists can get to blue belt and even up to purple belt it's uh and it, there's no shame in that at all that's how i kind of mostly went through i just want to learn how to defend myself and my wife and my family i didn't want ever to be that moment where someone says what are you going to do about it and me be like well absolutely nothing i'm like i'll choke you unconscious bro <laughs> i have no other way of putting it other than i know how it's going to end because i there's no way a newbie is going to put me in some scenario I haven't been in 5,000 times. It's like playing somebody that doesn't know chess for the first time when I get on with those first. You know, in chess, you have the, oh, I can't remember what it's called, but you basically can checkmate them in three moves. And I can't remember the name of it, but it's the same thing with jujitsu. The basics, the fundamentals are if you don't know it, I will defeat you in three moves. And it's, when you only when you get into dealing with other people that know jiu-jitsu do you get into the complication of the game i want to go to jiu-jitsu two days after they open up right because i want the i want you and uh and any of these other crazy dudes to just plow into one another and then i'll be there on day day two or day three (laughs) here's kind of my view on this right because i actually believe that if it's already gotten, I mean, if you really think about how behind, like, uh, oh, how behind all the places where the COVID first started popping up, like, uh, you know, old folks comes and it's like, there's, how behind are they in, in the actual interactions of the world? So the fact that it's first popping up, uh, like you know uh i'm sorry i'm not well i've seen it so so for me the thing that's leading me to believe that we are headed back to regular land is that um i I interviewed a guy named brad frecking and he was one of the first people to get access to a huge amount of testing so he was able to test two thousand people a Mm -hmm. thousand people had it at his meat packing plant and 90 percent of those had no symptoms they didn't even know they were sick and once you start seeing that, and then you start seeing it replicated, because once Brad came on and shared his results with me, I started getting results from all kinds of people. And I started saying like, hey, we reacted to this when we didn't know what it was. Hey, we had to be careful. But now we're getting data back and data allows us to readjust and say, okay, how, how much do we need to keep this going? How, how dangerous is this? And we get to evaluate and reevaluate and to me, from everything I'm seeing, as long as I don't watch CNN or CBS, you know, if I watch a broader scope of things, to me, it says we're headed in this direction. And that's why, like, if you were thinking you're on vacation, now it's time to start jogging. Now it's time to stop eating badly. Like regular world is about to begin. So everybody buckle up, get your shoes tied. And I 100% agreed with that first month lockdown. You know, in fact, I was off work for a month. I, I thought that was really necessary to prevent the hospitals from being overran. Now we're jumping into two months, and it's like 
everyone that was going to make physical contact for the most part i think is already done and uh i'm actually kind of blown away by how many people how many businesses are actually already closing it's like do you not prep for not making money i mean so i act like that that's kind of mind-blowing to me like i heard gold's gym was going down i don't know if it's true or not but it was just like i heard these yeah things. gold's gym is gone man so that's where i used to live so i'm going to take all that money and and invest it into a weight gym in my basement because i found out I do not need a gym to work out. I can work out in my house. I've done it, I don't know, 45 times in the last 50 days. So I, I, I like a gym because it, it's a, this is only gym only time. And unless you have a certain amount of space, it's hard to make that separation. Some people need that because they, they have to separate it. You know what I mean? They're, people think differently. Yeah, so the I, act of going somewhere. That, that used to be me. I used to think like the act of needing to be at the gym by 5.30 in the morning is what made me want to lift. And what I came to realize was like, that's just you telling yourself that. And, I, and other people, they need to get away from their kids or they need more space so they don't have the investment into it. But for me, one of the things that I learned was I was tricking myself into being like, oh, you got to have a gym to work out. Like, no, you don't, bitch. <laughs> Go downstairs, do some push-ups. Right. No, that's true. I mean, that, that, that is right for most people. I think uh, and they need that separation of being in my own, like, backyard or whatever. And they don't get motivated because it's not, it's like, it's not gym time, right? It's, I'm at home. And everyone has a separate mentality of, and I, I kind of feel that, like I said, you know, kind of vacation. Because I'm so used to being so busy. Like, no break, man. Like, I wake up, I train jiu-jitsu, I go to work, I come home, spend family time, go to sleep, and repeat over again. So I got in such a crazy pattern, and this happened, and it kind of was like, oh, well, vacation time. I'm like, okay, on vacation time. And then uh, once I thought it should be over, and it wasn't, I'm like, whoa. So then we started, me and Taylor started doing, like, the Zoom class, because I want to keep people um, interactive. and active i mean you can these solar drills are actually really exhausting i mean you follow coaches that he's been posting that'll kill you especially if you got a dummy to train with but even if you don't the solar drills if you really do it and that's why i also wanted to zoom because i also miss the community i miss the community is a big part of it so um as we as we wrap up if people wanted to know about your gym they wanted to look up what you're doing coaches the one that i go to and the one that you train at to to build your skills is bjj lifestyle academy but what's yours it's a fathom brazilian jiu-jitsu in highland illinois it's a we chose fathom because uh fathoms how you measure depth and water and jiu-jitsu is always related to water so i kind of and also when you go in depth in something and i because i do jiu-jitsu is not just a martial art it's a way of thinking and it's a way of uh Proving yourself so dude that's good i don't know i i know a shot of chain is 70 feet is a fathom 70 feet a fathom is six feet six feet okay and that comes, actually that comes from a nordic term or, or viking term or whatever you want to call it uh because most vikings were around six feet and that term also used to mean like from finger fingertip so that's why it came up to be like six feet because then and it's measured it's actually i think i'm pretty sure like uh, when a, an article, like that, it's how depth of water is measured. And it's every six feet. So when they say fathoms, that means it's like a yard or whatever. So uh, if people wanted to get a hold of you, you got a website for Fathom Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? 
Yeah, it's uh, fathombrazilianjiu-jitsu.com or, or fathombjj.com, sorry. And, uh, and, and if people yeah, wanted to see your crazy, crazy costumes that you've put up, where's a good place for them to go to see that stuff? Actually, it's uh, on Facebook or Instagram underneath Ruthless FX, the letters FX. And I think on Instagram, it's uh, Ruthless FX Props. And so that's where I do most of my costume stuff. Though so it's kind of taking a backseat, and I'm waiting to do me and the wife are working on what we want to do next for the next big show. But we're, uh, when we do something, we kind of go crazy. We, we go all out and that, that's what it takes. I think that's Just, passion, man. That's passion. So, Hey, when, when the gym opens up, man, I will come on up to fathom. I've, I've always been wanting to make the trip and we'll roll and I'd love to get your feedback. So no, for sure, man. Anytime. Just let me know. brother. Great. It was good talking right. with you, Charlie. Thank you so right. much. See you later, man.